This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3433 for Wednesday, the 29th of September 2021. Today's show is entitled, A Squirrel's Thoughts, about RMS. It is the 10th show of Zen Floater 2, and is about 43 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, RMS, and the subject of freedom. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Boys and girls from Zen Floater, your favorite magical forest squirrel, former human being converted into squirrel by aliens in the 1960s. And today I want to do a podcast talking about Richard Stallman and uh, throw in my two cents on his life and what's happened. Uh, as you all know, Richard Stallman uh, went to MIT in the early 70s worked in the artificial intelligence lab, and then um, I guess uh, through the Berkeley project where they got a copy of Unix, he decided he would begin to form the GNU project and write their own uh, free software version of Unix, which um, they started, I think, in the late 70s. He formed the Free Software Foundation project, I believe, sometime in 1983, uh, roughly a year or so before IBM released the first personal computer. Uh, before that, it was just things like VIC-20s, Amigas, uh, Texas Instrument Computers, um, and uh, several others. Um, Timex, I think, had one. Uh, there, Oh, and of course, Apple had theirs. You know, don't forget about Apple and uh, the original um, uh, Apple operating system. At any rate, um, yeah, Richard uh, developed the GPL license, uh, which requires anyone who uses the free software code modify it to return the changes to the project so that they can be shared by all. Uh, being an OpenBSD user, I can tell you that the BSD license is nice, but it doesn't require you to return software changes. So often, corporations like Apple, who develop Mac OS X, largely stripping a lot of free BSD um, uh, to do that, uh, never return much to the FreeBSD project. Um, the GNU project has literally thousands of people working on it around the world. It is the largest collection of free software I'm aware of, and without it, OpenBSD would be nothing but an operating system. There'd be no applications. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff would be uh, missing. Uh, it would be basically a server OS only. Things like uh, this Google Chromebook that I'm talking to you off of. I'm using the old Acer today to make this recording, not the new Chromebook. 
and uh, trying to get some use out of it before I convert it. Uh, this thing wouldn't be, um, we wouldn't have Raspberry Pis uh, and the Raspberry Pi operating system. You know, uh, we wouldn't have Android phones. For that matter, um, um, we wouldn't have the Mars helicopter, would we? I mean, you know, there's just all kinds of things. It's it's running on the International Space Station. Uh, to my understanding, Linux is the operating system that controls the cruise missile that we use to uh, deliver nuclear warheads. Uh, the multitude of things that Linux controls today, even in vehicles and car stereos, your thermostat, um, remote television cameras that you can mount uh, and transmit back to a server on Wi-Fi. Just, God, it, it's just such an enormous project. I mean, Richard Stallman uh, at his peak uh, was a, a very attractive person to developers. Most developers agreed that they, if they were going to write free software, they didn't want another corporation to just steal it up and uh, make millions of dollars on it and not return anything to uh, the community. So I thought I'd do a little reading of um, a number of websites that um, I've, I've gone through. And uh, just do some reading. I've opened several pages here. Here's an article from Newstack. Uh, and it's thenewstack.io. Why almost everyone wants Richard Stallman cancelled. I thought about providing links to all these websites in my notes, but I figured why bother? No one's going to open them anyway, but I'll just read through some of this. Advocates of open source inclusiveness felt sidelined this March when the Free Software Foundation re-elected Richard Stallman to its board of directors. And this week, the Free Software Foundation doubled down on this controversial decision in a statement on the election of Stallman. And I agree with that. They they should have never been able to take him out to begin with on um, the, the comments that they're claiming are about pedophilia and directly pedophilia. Um, reason being is, um, you know, Richard Stallman, even though he um, is the leader or figurehead or whatever you want to label him as of the, the free software movement, and it's, a, it's just a huge armada of software. I mean, it's the largest collection of, of developers and software that I'm aware of anywhere. I don't, there's no corporation that could match him. Um, no government could match him. Um, the, the free software project is, is uh, like the empire in Star Wars. It's, uh, uh, you know, the imaginary empire in Star Wars in that it uh, it's just mind-boggling how large it is. Um, but beside that point, Richard Stallman is a very small figure when it comes to political decisions like pedophilia. You know, as you all know, I'm part Native American. And in Oklahoma, I was required to attend four years of Indian school studies, of which 
I've studied uh, the history and culture of every single Native American tribe in North America and Canada, you know, Canada and in the United States, and even Mexico, down through Central America. And uh, uh, some of them, uh, a few of them even into places like Brazil and, you know, the, the northern tip of South America. And I remember uh, we spent three months studying pedophilia in that school. And the reason why the Caucasian community passed laws against pedophilia was they were witnessing in the Native American tribe back in the day, back in the 19th century and the 18th century, that they were breeding their women at as soon as they could develop a period. In other words, at age 14 or so, some of them even at 13, they were impregnating them and trying to have a child with them. And virtually 80% of these females were dying. I mean, they were literally killing themselves off as a community and they wouldn't stop it, you know, because they liked to have sex and they didn't see anything wrong with it. And uh, Native Americans had an attitude toward women that was... Uh, almost identical to what you see in the the Muslim community today, the Islamic world, as we witness it as they come into Europe, Canada, and America, they they uh, have um, they basically just treat women like cattle. And um, Caucasian people wanted to stop that, so they passed laws against it. Uh, when the Indians were put on reservations, they did everything they could do to stop it. Um, including separating the men and women in cases and putting them in separate schools just to try to cut it down. Uh, they tried to um, and did force Christianity on um, the Native American community. And as you know, I'm an atheist, um, former... I don't think you could ever say I was a Catholic. Um, I, uh, I never really adopted the Catholic religion. I think I've always been an atheist in my mind. Um... But at any rate, the, the point was well taken that if you get a 14-year-old girl pregnant, you put her at risk for death. And uh, on the issue of gay sex, men with 14-year-old boys, let's say, the same thing can happen. You can have serious damage to them uh, without having to go into any detail over that. I mean, you can, you can literally kill a small boy trying to have sex with him. So these things are... Uh, discouraged and laws are passed preventing them from doing this, um, engaging in this activity through threat of imprisonment to stop this sort of bestiality and, and destruction of human life. And that's well understood. But at the same time, when we look at the European Union, we see that there are a, a, a growing number of people throughout France, Germany, all across the European Union that, that, that's currently there, trying to pass laws to basically legalize pedophilia. And they've been trying to do that for the last four years. And this has been an ongoing political movement, even in the United States. Uh, I forget the name of the group here in the United States, but they, they actually have a pedophile group here in the United States. You know, I'm not doing a, a, a specific amount of detail research into that entire group. But um, amongst the people that are pro-pedophilia, largely are uh, the liberal Jewish community. And uh, Richard Stallman was once Jewish. He's an atheist. And perhaps he's just feeding into that same 
brain trust that they all are of. Um, they don't see a reason for Christians to invoke their laws against them and they want to be free of it. You know, they're for freedom. And they're not bothering to look at the physical aspects of why it was that it was banned to begin with. Uh, not surprisingly, the state of California uh, this year passed a law legalizing uh, pedophilia down to the age of 14. So if you're caught having sex with a 14-year-old girl or boy, you won't go to prison. Uh, the state of Oklahoma, where I'm at, we've known since I was a child that we still have on the books a law which allows you to marry at, uh, someone who is the age 14 or above. Now, this may seem strange to you that this law is still in the book because I, I think my first podcast I did, if you recall, was about a, uh, was it a Creek man, I think it was, that were trying to throw in an Oklahoma prison for actually committing pedophilia. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court and Justice Roberts helped throw the deciding vote that the state of Oklahoma had no authority to jail this man because he was a Native American. And thus... Um, opened the possibility, not the possibility, but actually made it uh, so that the individual five civilized tribes and all the other tribes that reside here in Oklahoma are their own individual governments. They have their own right to their own criminal system. And, of course, the, the man uh, didn't end up going to an Oklahoma prison uh, uh, because of that. And uh, so they have no ability, at least with Native Americans, to stop them from engaging in pedophilia not in the state of Oklahoma, and I haven't heard much more on that subject. But that still stands. That hasn't changed. So, there is this movement, and I'm not being judgmental, and I'm not endorsing pedophilia, but there is a movement within the human race to try to legalize it globally. And perhaps some of that in Europe is based on the fact that they have a growing Muslim community and they all feel that it's customary that um, the issue of pedophilia and the laws uh, that prohibit it are morally wrong in, in their mind. You know, two mindsets. Even though the same thing is happening over in Middle Eastern countries, you see stories occasionally of some 40 or 50 year old man getting a 14-year-old girl pregnant that he married, and she dies. And these stories will continue to pop out. In fact, I'm seeing stories um, being a member of Gab, and I, I, I watch these stories fly across Gab, where the Afghan refugees, a number of them, were taking child brides onto the C-17s, the C-130s, and they're flying to other countries to be vetted. And uh, they they can't come into the United States with a child bride. Sorry, but you can't do that. <clears throat> so at any rate, um, Richard's comments, of which there have been many, that if it's mutual consent, then it should be allowed. I kind of agree with him on that. But I also definitively understand the reason why that's illegal.
And it kind of backs up the notion that the reason you have uh, the age of 18 as the official age that you should be allowed to marry and, and have intercourse with somebody else, you know, they, both partners have to be 18 years of age or older, um, basically indicates that anyone who is younger than 18 years of age um, has not developed the uh, adult mindset to be responsible for their own life, to vote, to be drafted and sent to Vietnam, to, um, uh, yet they can drive a car at age 16, um, they cannot drink, uh, they cannot, uh, in many states, smoke, even though um, I started smoking when I was 12, you know, and I, I think I talked about that before. Um, my culture and my heritage is vastly different from yours, listeners, all of you. I mean, you're, I know for a fact that you have not walked a mile in my shoes, and I certainly haven't walked a mile in yours. So my background and experiences in, in this arena are vastly different from yours. But it kind of backs up um, the notion that, that, that children 18, under the age of 18 are, are basically irresponsible. You know, they, uh, they cannot make their own decisions their own without uh, a parent's guidance. And um, that is rooted in the fact that they're too young to have children. They can't reproduce. And... It, it, the clarity of this came into my mind when I went through my Indian education that um, the reason we have the term minors is to signify the fact that they cannot reproduce successfully without the, the threat of, of death. Uh, they, they're too young to have an established career somewhere to actually start a family anyway. And uh, that their, their choices and their ability to use logic and do the right thing for themselves is uh, uh, not there yet. And um, frankly, in my opinion, it's probably not there yet till they're about age 24, frankly. But uh, it is funny, you know, when I was a child, my mother took me down to the Tulsa airport to jump on a airplane I was going to be sent to the relatives because my parents were remodeling the house. I believe they were remodeling the kitchen at the time. And they wanted me to go visit my grandparents. So I had to jump on an airplane. They couldn't go with me. And I went alone. And as a Native American kid, I um, packed a bag. And on that bag, I packed a my forty five caliber handgun. It was a Colt. Uh, it was unloaded. I put in one box of ammunition that my father had bought for me. Of course, uh, enough clothes that I could change for a week. You know, I could get my clothes laundered there at the grandparents' house if I needed to. Uh, I think a, a magazine or two I threw in there, and uh, I don't remember what else. And I, I'm like, you know, 12 years old, or, you know, 11, 12 years old, something like that. Very young. And they sent me down to Tulsa, and they booked a plane on American Airlines. And American Airlines went up to the terminal. My mom took me up and turned me over to a stewardess who was going to be responsible for my check-in. 
And I, I had carry-on luggage with the bag, so I carried the bag with me. And um, carried that gun right on board the airplane. Oh, I also had cigarettes in my bag because I was smoking. My dad gave me cigarettes, which today, you know, if my parents, uh, if I was a child today and my parents did to me what they did back then, they would be in a penitentiary. They would be because we've taken all the freedoms away from kids. They're all gone. They're all gone. So anyway, I get on board the plane and I meet the captain. The captain's there. He wants to see me because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be flying alone. So he shakes my hand and I, I decided to show him the gun that I had in the bag. He didn't act surprised because back then you could carry a gun on an aircraft. It wasn't illegal. Um, he just wanted to make sure that it was unloaded. And I took a pack of cigarettes out of the bag and put it in my pocket with a with a um, some matches because I didn't have a lighter and uh, there was no law against uh, someone my age smoking so anyway uh, he turned the bag over to the stewardess who put it in the overhead which I wasn't tall enough to even reach and I was seated and strapped in by the stewardess and uh, it was a brand new 707 by the way it was the 707 that I was on uh, American Airlines is a brand new aircraft. And, um, of course, back then we didn't have any metal detectors or anything. That stuff didn't happen until the 70s, you know, so wrong decade. I mean, this is way earlier than the 70s. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're wondering how I got a gun through the airport, there were no metal detectors at all in airports when I was a child. All this crap got put in. You've had all your freedoms taken away. And this this is sort of a, a speech I'm making to you as I almost cry for you because you've lost so many freedoms, my, my fellow Americans. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible how many freedoms we've lost. Anyway, um, the airplane takes off. There's uh, maybe only 30 passengers on this huge plane. I mean, we're all scattered out through the plane, so I'm pretty much on my own out in the middle somewhere. There's nobody near me for a good 20 feet. And after we take off um, and uh, get airborne, before they even light the smoking lamp, I decided to go ahead and, and light up a cigarette. So here's a 12-year-old having a cigarette and using an ashtray. You know, airplanes had air ashtrays back then. And I'm smoking. And uh, the stewardess comes up to me after we get leveled off and uh, asks if I'd like to have a beer. And I happen to have uh, a couple of dollars and quarters on me, and I ask, well, how much will it be? And she says, it'll cost you 50 cents. And I said, well, I've got 50 cents. So I gave it to her and said, sure, I'd like to have a beer. And then she takes the 50 cents and goes away to go get my beer. And comes back a, a minute or two later saying she talked to the captain, and she said that we couldn't give you a beer because... It is illegal in the state of Oklahoma to give a minor a beer. But it wasn't back then in Kansas. So she said, the pilot said, we have to wait 20 minutes for us to get across the state line to fly over Kansas before the pilot will allow you to buy that beer. And, of course, we flew, as we flew north to Grandma and Grandpa's house, we crossed the Kansas line, and sure enough, she brought, she brought me a, a, a can of beer. And so I had a beer and a cigarette at age 12 on a 707 
with a 45 caliber Colt in my bag in the overhead. And that's a far cry. None of you will ever be able to do that at age 12, if there's anyone that's age 12 listening. All those freedoms have been taken away from you. You live in a prison state. Now, having made that plea to try to open our society back up a little bit, and I I hope we do someday. I mean, it would be great if we could do that and trust each other and love each other like we did in the... that decade, you know, the decade of JFK. I don't think that it's going to happen, and that's that's sad. It really is. It's sad. Anyway, let me go on and continue thumbing through these websites uh, about Richard Stallman and his comments. Um, I wanted to try to find... uh, Just click to here. Here's here's the website, uh, bostonglobe.com metro. Richard Stallman resigns from MIT after comments about Jeffrey Epstein. It says, Richard M. Stallman, an MIT computer scientist, a pioneer in the free software movement, and the winner of the MacArthur Genius Grant has resigned from MIT and his foundation after he posted comments about a victim of Jeffrey Epstein who testified she was coerced into having sex with a now-deceased MIT professor. Well, being coerced into and being a sort of a sex slave isn't exactly mutual consent, is it? It isn't. And that might have been one of the problems with Richard trying to back this up. But it just goes to show you the power of that movement that I was talking about of these people that want to legalize pedophilia and will openly express their their opinions on it. There is a movement. They're trying to do it. And uh, it hasn't stopped. And so Richard Stallman got caught up in it, and to my knowledge, he's the only one of the people that have made comments like this that has been chastised and punished by any community. They stood up and they chastised him. When you go across the globe and you look at the European leaders that have tried to do this, or the people in California, there's been no punishment for any of them. None. And they're the people that could actually stop pedophilia, and they're not doing it. Richard Stallman has absolutely no control over pedophilia. He's just making an open comment. You know, he, he's not a god that has control of all laws in the land. He's just the leader of the Free Software Foundation movement, or was anyway. In my mind, still is, because without his efforts, there would be no Free Software Foundation. I mean, let's just be very plain and blatant about it. And, um, you know... Thinking backwards in time, um, I remember reading uh, something about the Free Software Foundation in a magazine back in the 1980s, and that's how I first became aware of this. You know, we didn't have the Internet back then, so, and of course I hadn't been MIT or anything, so I didn't know Richard Stallman or any of the people that were working uh, to make the Free Software Foundation a thing. But um, honestly, um, 
you know, back then I believe they were running an ad that if you sent X amount of money and a tape to MIT, Richard Stallman or one of his colleagues would put Emacs on that tape and send it back to you so that you could have the Emacs editor free of charge uh, for the most part, other than, you know, the labor and doing it, the just transferring the tape, you know, the data to the tape. You could get the program essentially free. It's free software. Um, and use it on your mainframe, which um, one of our guys did, and I got a chance to get introduced to GNU Emacs on a mainframe uh, back in the 80s, because, you know, my background is mostly uh, through mainframes. It's not, I hardly did much of anything on, on PCs, because PCs uh, of the the era were incapable uh, until the 90s came, and then my job was to convert all of the Burroughs systems from Epsodec COBOL to uh, Microfocus COBOL, and I worked with Microfocus COBOL teams to uh, do that across the nation. And uh, I'm also the author of uh, a program called Pathways. And uh, that's my, my life. So I worked in both the life insurance and health industries for years, um, writing software, and um, we converted mainframes over to uh, um, basically uh, homemade boxes in in silicon graphic racks uh, that we designed ourselves um, that used uh, still used pulse select technology. So, in other words, uh, the people with dumb terminals out there. Uh, that were hooked up to these insurance conglomerates continued to function the same way as if they were on a mainframe, only their processing was being done, uh, converted from Epsodic to ASCII, and and the COBOL was converted from Burroughs Systems to uh, Microfocus COBOL, and I worked with that project to bring Microfocus NetExpress into reality uh, until I retired and... Um, the company got sold to somebody else and it's over in Britain now. Um, well, actually, I worked for them during that process. I was, uh, for a year or two after they, they had moved the company, I was still working on it. And I, I engaged them to try to move Microfocus COBOL from OS2 to Windows NT and then again from Windows NT to Red Hat. I wanted it to be on Red Hat. And, of course, as you know, the company uh, followed uh, the lead of SAP, and they went with um, SUSE and OpenSUSE. And they're still over there to this day. And I'm, I'm not involved with any of that anymore, but I do have a background in SAP. I've worked on SAP systems and also uh, Lawson, by the way. So um, I'm kind of unusual in that... Um, I'm not a multimedia person, you know, I don't make memes to put on Gab, and I don't work with videos and try to make animated GIFs or um, work with XML much or any of these other things. I just don't do it. In fact, I, I haven't written anything um, probably in nearly 20 years now, and I've enjoyed it. I've just been a goof off on Chromebooks. You know, I'm, I've turned a total commie here. That's what I've done. <laughs> laughing at myself. I mean, I've, I, I shouldn't be on a Chromebook. I should be, 
I've got another computer here that happens to have uh, Triskel on it, and I jump over to that every once in a while when I want to get off on Linux. Triskel's a, a really nice operating system, and so is Geeks. I really love Geeks, you know. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and cut it short. I'm glad that Richard Stallman's back. He's not in full capacity. But you know what? Everybody dies, too, and, and perhaps uh, it was good that we had a transition just to get him out. But my main point for making this podcast is that Richard Stallman says all kinds of things, and we knew that when we first saw his website, you know, and got to know him, that uh, he was very open and vocal about his opinions on things. And I imagine he's made a comment on everything from fine wines to UFOs. I was reading through one of his websites about a girlfriend that he had that died in Florida. And, you know, some of his writings are very tearful. Richard Stallman is a real man. We thank you, Richard Stallman. I've, I've never met you, but... You know, I did contribute. I gave $1,000 to the Free Software Foundation here this year. And I think I'll continue to do that uh, until I die, even though I'm an OpenBSD user, because they do have a function society. Richard Stallman does. And you just have to take people for who they are, that Richard is going to make comments about things, and you just don't need to get upset about it. You know, people are acting like him making a comment uh was going to enslave them in a particular uh, idiom. And it's just not true. He doesn't have that much power. And uh, I don't know why it is you would be upset about his comments. It's I have uh, pretty much shelved Richard Stallman's comments. I, I'll read them just like I'd read anybody's comments on Gab. But I, for the most part, treat Richard Stallman, uh, even though I've praised him, I treat him like my my dishwasher, you know? Uh, when I get dirty dishes, I'll throw some dirty dishes in there. I'll put some soap in there. I'll push the button and, uh, you know, it'll clean my dishes. But as far as anything that the dishwasher says back to me in, in a comment, pro smoking pot or whatever, I kind of let that go in one ear out the other. You know, it's his comment. I don't, I don't take it as if it's poured in concrete and it reinforces steel. Uh, it, it's just his comment. It doesn't directly affect me at all. And um, as I said, there are bigger players involved in this pedophilia thing. And apparently it's serious because, as you know, Epstein uh, did not die. Uh, he did not kill himself. Uh, there's no way. It's uh, not possible. He was not a very good man, I don't think. I don't endorse Epstein. And I don't endorse some of the things that they're saying. But I can kind of see Richard Stallman's point when he makes comments that if it's mutual consent, then let it happen. I can see that. I can understand it. Assuming the parents and everybody were all willing, you know, and everybody was in agreement, then I I could see that. But in so many of these cases, because of the, the fact that we have established the term minority, and minority is directly tied to biological processes for which 14-year-old girls cannot have children, and 14-year-old boys should probably not be having sex with men. Or for that matter, 14-year-old boys should probably not be having sex with 55-year-old women. Let's just take it all the way here. I, I can see the point of why we've made it illegal, and so many of these actions, like the one that Epstein was involved in, were under coercion. It wasn't mutual consent at all, which uh, perhaps is the only thing that I would grade Richard Stallman for on making his comment, is he's making a comment 
on, on one hand, he's made comments that he agrees with mutual consent, but on the other hand, in the case of the Epstein situation, it wasn't, and his friend uh, at MIT, Minsky, didn't have anything to do with any of it, apparently, uh, according to his wife's testimony. Um, he didn't engage in any sexual acts. The whole thing was crap. So basically, Richard got drugged through the system that he was apparently not aware of, and I, I can't imagine how he could have missed this, uh, of the fight between those that want to legalize pedophilia from the liberal communities and uh, those who do not due to biological reasons. And so he's been enhanced and grown a little bit, and I see now, uh, reading that Richard has backtracked on his comments and decided that um, he uh, does not support this. You know, he's had a chance to absorb the damage and understand why the damage is coming to him. And uh, that's sad that people get tied up in this. It's sad. I don't know personally which way pedophilia will go. Right now, it seems to me on the legal stage, on the governmental stage, the pedophiles are winning. Despite Richard backing out of it, um, the pedophiles are winning. And you can attribute that to whatever you want. The Muslim community coming into Europe and demanding it. The liberal Jewish community thinking that they want to be free from Christian laws. Uh, of which many of them have stated that. In fact, they've even declared themselves not a part of the white race because of it in front of the federal court and don't even want to be considered Caucasian people anymore. Uh, and, of course, uh, the, the other side of the coin, the ones that are battling to continue to make pedophilia illegal, the Christian theist community, uh, largely, and some of the Jewish community, uh, not all of them, I mean, the the number of right-wing Jewish people that are in this world that are pro-Israel, you could almost count on one hand, uh, in my mind. They're a very small community of people, considering how small the total community of Jewish people are, are here on the planet are. I think it's like, what, less than 20 million people or something, 40 million people. It's a very small number of people. Anyway, that battle will continue on, and we'll just see uh, how it goes. And... Uh, see what they do with it. But again, I think it was absolutely silly for them to go after Richard Stallman uh, because, you know, he's not going to have any say-so in any of this stuff that's that's actually going on around you. And I don't see anybody from the community that attacked Richard Stallman going after any of these political leaders who have passed this stuff. I don't. I mean, they, they're um, all show and no go. Anyway, that's my two cents worth on this. And naturally, uh, I, I, I'm going to say one last thing on Richard Stallman. I, by making this, I'm not accusing Richard Stallman of, of engaging in pedophilia or, or any sort of sexual misconduct. I, I wouldn't even accuse Richard Stallman of smoking pot. I don't think he does. I think he's just one of those guys that likes to have an open mind and express his thoughts on a subject. It doesn't mean that he's doing anything. He's just expressing his two cents worth. You know, he's he's he is um, using his free speech rights because, after all, you know, he's the leader of the free software community, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to express his free 
speech rights, and so am I. I I'm not going to show a bias either for pedophilia or against it. What I am going to say is that the human race is like an iceberg out in the middle of the Atlantic with all of us hanging off the edge and kicking our feet trying to push that iceberg in a direction. And that iceberg is going to move very slowly. And right now, despite what happened to RMS, it looks like the pedophiles are winning. I mean, the iceberg is moving toward the island of pedophilia. And uh, I don't see anybody standing up to stop that. And I, I would just figure that history will repeat itself, that if they do get it legalized in, in a number of places and girls start dying again, uh, they'll make it illegal again, just like we've seen the, um, the recent flip on abortion with the state of Texas, which is another hot subject that I'm not even going to, I'm just going to graze in this podcast and let it go. Uh, again, not making a comment on that one way or the other, uh, should we support women in their right to choice or should we defend life as the Christian theists see it? And you see, I don't have a bias against Christian theists. Being an atheist, I've lived amongst them all my life and I try to live at peace with everybody. I mean, clearly I'm not going to be steering the political world. I am just a passenger on this train just like Richard Stallman is. Uh, We don't know where the train's going to go. So anyway, I think I'll go ahead and end this podcast and let that go. And I just had to, to make this because I'm glad that Richard Stallman's back. I appreciate the Free Software Foundation and what they're doing. It does have a meaning and a purpose, and we need to continue on with that and not let this distract them. I, I would also like to give credit to um, to uh, Luke Smith for coming to his uh, aid and defense by making a video that free software does make a, a difference because in our world... It's all in the license, and even though I can write software using the BSD license, that does not mean, friends, that I'm, I won't be sued by someone for doing so. And uh, that brings me to the last point of the Free Software Foundation, which is great, is their legal assistance team that helps protect some of their developers and their community from these malicious patent and civil lawsuits that are going on. And, you know, Richard, brainchild, all that. So um, my, my question is, if you're really against Richard Stallman, why don't you get out of the Free Software Foundation? Why are you staying? Because um, I don't see the Free Software Foundation being in any way an organization that would tie the hands of anybody over free speech rights. I don't get it. I'm not getting it. Now, I understand why you're against pedophilia. You know, you have a right to opinion, and I'll support your right to opinion. But you don't have a right to brutalize and uh, essentially fuck over other people because uh, they make their thoughts public on certain subjects. They exercise their free speech rights, their freedom rights to do what they want. Anyway, um, the Free Software Foundation, in my opinion, finally, is it's not a church. It's not a church. You know, you don't have a right to nail people to a cross because they said something you don't like. It is a movement to try to expand the rights of freedom around the world. And, and that we've all grown to understand, hopefully.
All right, thank you for your time. I'm going to let you go. Next um, audio I do, I'm going to try to do one over COVID because there's been a lot of, um, of things come out about COVID, and um, I need to discuss them. And, and this might take a month or two for me to collect everything together. Thank you all. Have a good day. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.